Hello, we're Equinor. As a global energy leader, we're working hard to reduce methane emissions and our carbon footprint. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, November 26th. In today's news, federal prosecutors are investigating Rudy Giuliani's firm for a host of serious crimes. The president puts his son-in-law in charge of seizing land to build the wall. And Betsy DeVos finalizes new rules that give universities clear but controversial guidance on handling sexual assault accusations. First, though, the big idea. A federal court ruled last night that former Trump White House counsel Don McGahn must comply with a House subpoena, finding that no one is above the law and that top presidential advisors cannot ignore congressional demands for information. The ruling raises the possibility that McGahn could be forced to testify as part of the impeachment inquiry. U.S. District Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson of Washington found no basis for a White House claim that the former counsel is, quote, absolutely immune from compelled congressional testimony. This sets the stage for a historic separation of powers confrontation between the executive and legislative branches of the government. The House Judiciary Committee went to court in August to enforce its subpoena of McGahn, whom lawmakers consider the single most important witness in whether President Trump obstructed justice in special counsel Bob Mueller's investigation. Trump then blocked McGahn's appearance. Jackson says that if McGahn wants to refuse to testify, such as by invoking executive privilege, he must do so in person and in response to each question. The judge ordered McGahn to appear before the House committee and said her conclusion is inescapable because a subpoena demand is part of the legal system, not the political process, and per the Constitution, no one is above the law. It's a blistering 118-page opinion that includes a lengthy history lesson on the separation of powers, with quotes from Democracy in America by de Tocqueville and the Federalist Papers and lots of Supreme Court precedents. After the ruling, Bill Barr's Justice Department, which is representing McGahn in this case, promised it would appeal immediately, and the White House attacked the judge's decision. Bill Burke, McGahn's attorney, said last night that his client will comply with Judge Jackson's decision unless it is stayed pending appeal. Burke has said that McGahn doesn't believe he witnessed any violation of the law. Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff said Monday that House investigators will transmit their report on Trump's conduct in the Ukraine controversy to the House Judiciary Committee shortly after Congress returns next week from Thanksgiving recess. In a letter to colleagues, Schiff underscored that stonewalling by the White House, as it's doing in the McGahn instance and several other cases, ignoring valid subpoenas, could form the basis for its own article of impeachment. Last night's ruling has been highly anticipated because it has major implications for other high-value witnesses in the impeachment probe, including former National Security Advisor John Bolton and Bolton's deputy, Charlie Kupperman. Multiple Democratic aides and members say they do not expect the ruling to have any immediate bearing on the impeachment inquiry, though, because the appeal could take months. Jonathan Schaub, though, a former attorney in the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel, says the ruling could provide cover for other witnesses, especially former employees who are inclined to testify but feel compelled by the White House's directions not to. This, in other words, could give them the cover they need to take the stand. 
But Chuck Cooper, the lawyer who represents Bolton and Kupperman, has said the two will not participate in the impeachment inquiry until a federal judge resolves the dispute. He previously said the issues involving his clients are distinct from those in McGahn's case and would require a separate ruling after a hearing that's scheduled for next month. And in another case related to the investigations, the Supreme Court last night temporarily blocked a House committee from immediately reviewing Trump's financial records, including his tax returns, after the president's lawyers agreed to an expedited review of a lower court ruling that granted access. The court's action signals that even as Congress considers impeachment, the court will undertake a more complete consideration of the legal powers of Congress and prosecutors to investigate a president while he's in office. The court instructed Trump's lawyers to file a petition by December 5th, stating why the court should accept the appeal for full briefing and oral argument. If the petition is eventually denied, the lower court ruling will go into effect. If it's accepted and only four judges are needed to take up the case, the case will be heard during this term with a decision before the court adjourns at the end of June. Again, running out the clock. The election's in November. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, the federal investigation into two associates of Rudy Giuliani is exploring a wide range of potential crimes, including wire fraud and failure to register as a foreign agent. As prosecutors dig deeper into the pair's interactions with the president's personal lawyer and the main pro-Trump super PAC, Giuliani's dealings with the two men, Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman, are being investigated by federal prosecutors in the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York. That office has already filed campaign finance charges against Parnas and Freeman and accuses them of conspiracy and making false statements to the Federal Election Commission. According to people familiar with the ongoing case, investigators are scrutinizing Giuliani's consulting business and eyeing donations made to America First Action, the main pro-Trump super PAC set up by his advisors and allies after his election, as well as an affiliated nonprofit. As part of the probe, federal prosecutors are examining a raft of other potential crimes, including foreign lobbying registration violations, destruction or alteration of documents, aiding and abetting federal crimes, and foreign contributions to U.S. candidates. The list of possible crimes under investigation does not mean those charged will be filed. They do, however, indicate prosecutors are casting a wide net for wrongdoing, as they examine the business and legal dealings of the president's lawyer and two Soviet emigre business executives who have been assisting Giuliani in his efforts to dig up dirt on Joe Biden on behalf of the president. Parnas and Fruman have pleaded not guilty. Giuliani, who hasn't been formally accused of any crimes, has denied any wrongdoing. He didn't respond to requests for comment, and his attorney declined to comment. Number two, President Trump increasingly frustrated with the lack of progress on his top priority, has named his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, as the project manager for constructing his border wall. Kushner convenes bi-weekly meetings in the West Wing, where he questions an array of government officials about progress on the wall, including updates on contractor data, precisely where it will be built, and how funding is being spent. He also shares and explains the president's wishes with the group. The president's son-in-law and senior advisor is pressing U.S. Customs and Border Protection and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to expedite the process of taking over private land needed for the project as the government seeks to meet Trump's goal of erecting 450 miles of barriers along the U.S.-Mexico border by the end of 2020. Officials say that more than 800 filings to seize private property will need to be made in the coming months if the government is going to meet Trump's goal. 
Mark Morgan, the acting CPB commissioner, says Kushner has expedited decisions on land seizures to make the president's goal happen by Election Day. But Kushner has also clashed with the career officials who have questioned some of his ideas, such as installing webcams to live stream construction. Some of Kushner's critics say he can be tone deaf when it comes to politics and doesn't understand or respect the value of having multiple agencies work through an official process on a project. Meanwhile, new documents released yesterday show that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommended to Trump's CBP that detained migrants be vaccinated against the flu. But the agency rejected this idea. And now kids are dying. Autopsy reports show that in the months after CBP rejected the CDC recommendation, at least two children, both in Texas, died after being diagnosed with the flu in Border Patrol custody. Influenza outbreaks in Border Patrol detention facilities have continued, sickening hundreds of people, including agents and detainees. Number three, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos is poised to unveil new rules that give universities clear but controversial guidance on handling accusations of sexual assault. The final regulation will maintain contentious elements of a version proposed a year ago, including a provision requiring universities to allow the cross-examination of those alleging sexual harassment or assault. Advocates for sexual assault survivors say they're already planning to challenge the new regulations in court. Most of the attention is on higher education, but these rules also apply to elementary and secondary schools as well. The Education Department's final regulation does make one significant change in response to criticism of last year's draft. The previous proposal held universities responsible for investigating incidents only if they occurred within the school's official programs or activities. This was interpreted by many as excluding activity in off-campus apartments or at parties hosted by fraternities that aren't officially recognized by the school. The wording of this provision was criticized by women's groups, but also more quietly by some Republicans, and DeVos has dropped it. Meanwhile, the Me Too reckoning continues across the globe. An Argentine court found two priests and a lay worker guilty yesterday of sexually abusing 10 former students at a Catholic school for the deaf. It's the first legal victory for a community of victims whose complaints about one of the clerics to church officials, including Pope Francis himself, went unheeded for several years. The verdict is another stain on the church's handling of sex abuse cases in Francis's native Argentina. Prosecutors last week requested an arrest warrant for Bishop Gustavo Zanchetta, a longtime close associate of the Pope who's accused of abusing two seminarians. And here in the States, the Council on Foreign Relations announced that it will give $350,000 to efforts to combat human trafficking. That's the amount of tainted money that the group took from pedophile Jeffrey Epstein before he killed himself. The council made no move to oust Epstein as a member after he was convicted in 2008 of sex crimes. Since his death, there has been mounting pressure on the council to do something with the money he gave them. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, November 26th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. If you want to get more news about the impeachment inquiry, you can now subscribe to a new podcast feed from The Washington Post. All of our audio updates on the inquiry are in one place, including the latest from The Daily 202's Big Idea, Can He Do That?, and Post Reports. It's updated whenever news happens. You can subscribe at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. I'll talk to you tomorrow.